Third Shift presents The Imposter's Guide to Gaming, your quick fix for gaming news. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Oh yeah, it's time for IG2G. This is episode 24. I'm your host, Matt. With me as always, you know who it is. It's my boy, Eric. Do you guys like eating? Do you like driving? Do you like VR mice? Do you like stabbing weird zombie things where they have like a crystal in their head? I don't know what that's about. If you know what that's about, join us for IG2G episode 24. Now let's roll into some releases. Top five releases. First up this week... Launching on the 1st of March for $5.99. This is a normal lost phone. Now, I hear you all saying, man, everybody knows the normal lost phone came out already like a year ago. Well, it's dropped on the Switch on the 1st. Developed and published by Plugin Digital. This is a cool narrative kind of puzzle-focused game. It's all about like, hey, you found a phone. Whose phone is it? Who is this person? What is this? This person is like missing. So you got to figure out what's happened to this person, who this person is, all kinds of other stuff. But the only things you can interact with are on the phone. So you're like reading old messages, going into like, I think the first few minutes of it, the gameplay I saw, it was like all the apps you needed to get into, you needed the Wi-Fi for, but you need a password for the Wi-Fi. So you got to go into messages, mailbox, all kinds of other stuff to find the password for that to unlock more things. So you just get deeper and deeper and deeper in this puzzle-slash-narrative-focused game. It deals with some heavy subjects, too. I'm not going to get into that, but I know what it's about. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in puzzle games, if you're interested in, you know, narrative games, if you're interested in just kind of like games that aren't really you know, the norm, you know, it's kind of like outside-the-box type of thing where it's just a phone screen and you're acting with the phone screen and doing puzzly stuff if that sounds like it's up your alley go check it out like i said for switch it's only 5.99 i think on google play i also saw it for like 2.99 it's only a couple hours long but uh, if you're into that kind of stuff go grab that up not to be outdone by you talking on your phone and learning all sorts of cool little tricks about stalking people on the text messages, I've got a fun game that was released February 27, 2018 on PlayStation 4, PC, Xbox One, developed by Milestone SRL. What am I talking about? That's gravel. Oh yeah, baby. Do you like them old school off-road racing games where you're just running in, crashing into the cars, taking shortcuts, doing all sorts of fun things, having a blast? Well, this, my friends, is for you, because this is exactly what you do. You go pick all sorts of really cool off-road vehicles, have a blast, get upgrades to those vehicles, make yourself quicker, faster, all that good stuff. You go to places like Nimbuambwe, Alaska. <laughs> yeah, you knew I was going to do it, man. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, hey, I can't help myself. It's me, Eric. What do you want from me? It's <laughs> fair. So anyways, you go to all sorts of exotic locales, racing on really cool different environments, having a good time. It's definitely not your Gran Turismos. It's not all these new Forzas and stuff like that. It's more arcadey than it is simulation. Some of the uh, effects in it aren't uh, you know, specifically tailored to that particular type of vehicle, things like that. So if that's what you're into, this probably isn't for you. But if you just want a fun arcadey title, this might be right up your alley. I will state it is not... Uh, local split screen uh, co-op so if, if you're hoping for that you're not going to get it beyond that hey if you just want to go online and have some fun do some racing or do some solo stuff this might be something you want to check out sounds like a nice mid-range racing game where you know i like racing games but i'm not super sim jones so anytime people are like oh look gran turismo oh look dirt three oh look frick forza i was like yeah i could never play that game i could play it for like two hours and then i'll get sick of it because you have to relearn each car 
like because every car handles completely differently. So this sounds like fun smash. Well, not really smash them up, but you know, go wild, go nuts. Exactly. This is like your step up from Mario Kart. You know, this is getting into the real, yeah. real types of cars and stuff, stuff, but still staying really loose and goose and having a good time. Next up this week, it's another old game that's getting re-released on the Switch. We're talking about Payday 2, February 27th for $49.99, developed by Overkill Software, published by Sumo Digital for the Switch. This is Payday 2. It came out like six years ago. If you don't know what Payday 2 is, you're a member of like a heist. You got to go like do, do a heist, and there's all kinds of steps involved. You got to fight off the police. You have all kinds of fun. You do all kinds of crazy, wacky stuff. I've heard that... Obviously, the Switch version, the graphics aren't as great. The frame rate kind of dips here and there and stuff. But it does have a timed exclusive character who is, I believe she's a female, and she does more of a kind of a support role. She's doing all kinds of hacking. You're doing all kinds of cool, like, digital gadgets and all kinds of stuff that changes up the normal way that you play Payday 2. So that's a lot of fun. I've heard that, like, the HD rumble support in this game is really fantastic, how each of the guns actually feel different in your controller holding hand like the way that you know as you're popping out magazines you can feel like different kinds of rumbles for that so it really feels like you're in the game doing all kinds of stuff there's some touchscreen support for the menus but other than that the only downsides are a the graphics like i said they're not quite as spiffy as the pc version or the recently i think fairly recently re-released like playstation 4 and xbox one versions other couple things are this is about one large update removed from the PC version. So if you just coming off the PC, you're not going to have a couple of the big updates, but it is pretty current. And then the only other thing is the Nintendo Switch has no voice chat. So this is a very co-op heavy game. It's kind of, I mean, think of it more or less like a horde mode game. You got four people in your crew. You got to communicate with them all the different steps to do all these different heists, right? You can't do that via voice on switch natively you can have like discord up on a computer and do it you could maybe i don't know be on a cell phone with three of your buddies doing it but natively there's no voice support which is something that this game really needs but if you do just want to get a payday fix you can get it on your switch now for a somewhat discounted price i mean 50 bucks for an older game is still not that great but it's new on the switch so what do you want i don't know payday 2 if you're into it if you're on the switch if you want to get some hd rumble in your hands get it get it right now go get it Moving on to something happier than, like, robbing people, doing all that. We're going to go with Pac-Man Championship Edition 2 Plus. Oh, yeah. But you're robbing those mazes of all the power pellets, man. Hey, well. He's a thief. You're stealing from ghosts, and nobody cares about ghosts, Matt. That's right. No one cares about ghosts. <laughs> It'll never hold up in court. <laughs> it would never hold up in court. Very true. So true. Yes. Uh, this was released, of course, a year ago or so on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the PC. But hey, guess what? Now, as of February 22nd, it's released for the Nintendo Switch. Did you hear that? It's another re-release for the Switch, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. So anyways, developed, published by Bandai Namco, of course, no duh. What is this game, if you haven't heard of it at all? It's Pac-Man. It's Pac-Man, except for, instead of it just being boring 8-bit music Pac-Man with a little digital boring screen, it's got crazy, funky, neon, techno, wild music with the classics dabbled in, and then the start with the classic in, and then they spin it. 
Okay, so now you're also going to those screens, but now the ghosts, you can like tap them and get their attention, make them chase you, so you can go around while the other person, or the person, what? Yes. Now here's something you didn't have on those other versions that you have on the Switch, because I said plus edition. So the Switch has the co-op mode. So yes, you can play with another person on these maps. And then you go around collecting the pellets, doing what you're supposed to do. However, like I said, you can tap the ghosts a certain amount of times and then get their attention. The other guy can go get the, you know, the uh, other pellets and then get the power up. And then when you two combine your powers, you slam the screen. The, the baddies go jumping in their little cage. You flip over to a new one and you keep going. All the while, wild music's playing. There's boss fights. All sorts of cool little dynamics that, you know, old school Pac-Man didn't have looks like a lot of fun to me it looks like a very fun updated pac-man but it's still pac-man i guess if you're a traditionalist maybe this might start to yeah get out of your ballpark but if you're up for some wacky new additions to the pac-man series this might be right up your alley and why do i even talk about it it's because it's a perfect game for the switch you're sitting there on the train, you're sitting there doing nothing in the back seat with your buddy while you're on a four-hour trip, you throw him a controller, you put the little switch right there, boom. Who doesn't? Who doesn't like a game of Pac-Man? I don't think there's a human being out there that wants to say, oh yeah, sure, I'll play around a Pac-Man, whatever. That's true, yeah. Exactly. So, if that sounds fun to you, hey, go get your hands on it. Pac-Man Championship Edition 2 Plus on the Nintendo Switch. And then last but not least, coming out on the 20th of February for the PC, PS4, and Xbox One, developed by Konami Digital Entertainment and published by Konami. What is it? It's the latest in the Metal Gear franchise, Metal Gear Survive. Oh, I'm going to be talking about it later in the episode, but can you tell I have a frown on my face? I don't have high hopes for this one. Number five. First up today, I want to talk about a really cool game that was released February 2018 on the PlayStation 4 VR. And that game is Moss, developed by Polyarch and published by Polyarch. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about this cutesy little game in which you're looking down upon this tiny little field mouse. It's a she, by the way. And she's trying to save her uncle from the evil minions. Oh, yes. Very simple story. But the cool part is, obviously, it's in PlayStation VR. So you have the controller, you know, the handset, the whole thing going. So in the game, you're like a, um, you're like a human looking down on this mouse. And then you get to interact with it, with it using an orb. And so this mouse knows you exist, and you can, like, zoom in, like, by looking down on the VR, and then it'll, you know, it'll stop, it'll look at you, it'll wave, and then you control her, and then move her around doing the different things. She has basic attack abilities. The whole story behind this game, besides, of course, getting your uncle, is just traversing through, like, a, a castle, a cave, a little forest area, and you gotta solve puzzles, and defeat the beetles, and these other little baddie minion robot-looking things. So, pretty simple concept. It's about a four-hour game, but it looks like a ton of fun because it's very different from what you're used to. So, in a lot of the puzzles, you have to control the mouse, have her run onto like certain platforms, or destroy like a beetle, or make uh, some little gadget get onto a, uh, a little platform. But in the meantime, you also have to be over here pushing the platform over so that the beetle thing or whatever can get onto it. So it teaches you slowly as you're going through this little game how to control both her and the environment to successfully do what you need to do. 
So pretty neat concept. I like also how while this is all going down, you can tilt your head, move your head, and you can kind of like swoop in and look at the different environments from the different angles. And it all has that really neat feel of you actually being a full six foot size person looking on this entire world that's just unique and big and awesome to this mouse. But of course, when you pan out, it's just, you know, for you, it's just nothing. It's like, ah, ha, ha, I could just come in and crush everything. But that's not the point of it. So looks like a lot of fun. Looks like if I had a PlayStation VR and I was rich, you know what I'm saying? It's something I would definitely get. Word of mouth is that this game is the flagship of VR. It should have been, and everyone's praising it up and down and just really liking it. The graphics are real solid. There's really not much to complain about except for the uh, technical aspects. The PlayStation VR still sometimes has wonky camera issues and you got to recalibrate. But beyond that, a solid title, great controls. The puzzles are challenging but not difficult to the point of frustration and just giving up. And, of course, like I said... You have to learn to control both her and the environment, and that can become, you know, really fun to do, and of course, gives you something to think about and ponder. Something I'd do if I had PlayStation VR. Unfortunately, I can't, so I won't be able to get my hands on this whatsoever, but if that sounds something cool to you, and you have a PlayStation VR, and you've been sitting around going, what the hell do I play with this thing anymore? Well, guess what? Moss might just be the game for you. Number four. Next up this week, what's a, what, who's, what, bing bong! We actually have mailbag questions this week. Oh my goodness. We're going to run through a couple of them. We'll see how many we get to. But we do have a little backlog of IG2G mailbag questions. So I'm going to start it off with our buddy Sean Haggerty at 10K Beers on Twitter. He asks, Hey, IG2G, I'm a big fan of the Telltale games, and last San Diego Comic-Con, they announced a season two of The Wolf Among Us, but I haven't heard diddly about it since. Have you seen any news on whether or not this is still happening? The first season was an incredible story, and with all the improvements that Telltale has made to their game mechanics since then, dot, 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 well, I'm pretty jazzed for that to happen. I know the company has had some sizable layoffs since that announcement, and I'm worried that the project had been canceled. Keep up the great work, guys and gal. Sean. Well, thank you for the mailbag question, Sean. I did investigate this a little bit more, and I haven't found any new news, really, since that last San Diego Comic-Con, which was at the end of July last year. But I did find an article on Eurogamer from the end of August that year by Tom Phillips. He was talking at Gamescom with Job Stouffer about all kinds of Telltale-related type of deals, all kinds of what they're working on, what's coming out. And they did confirm that they are, were still working on, at least at that point, Wolf Among Us Season 2, but that they were planning on having that come out in the second half of 2018. And, I mean, you know how Telltale is? Usually it's like a month or two before their next episode comes out that they start promoting it. So I wouldn't be really surprised if that's why we haven't heard anything. Plus, in that interview, they were still talking about how before Wolf Among Us Season 2 comes out, they're trying to get out Walking Dead the final season, and we still haven't seen anything on that. So I know they're finishing up Batman Season 2. I believe that's, what, Episode 4 or 5 mm-hmm. right now? Yeah, right around there. So they're working on that. They still have Walking Dead the final season, which they have confirmed that it will be the final season, to come out 
and then Wolf Among Us Season 2 will be coming out. So you might be looking at fall-winter release, but that article was really fantastic, and they went into a lot of detail on Wolf Among Us Season 1, all the struggles that they had with that, because if anyone remembers, there was a big gap between Episodes 1 and 2. Apparently they had the story going in a whole different direction, and then over like a holiday break, people thought about it more, people tried working on it some other some other ways, and then they shifted direction on it. So kind of a cool backstory in that. The only other details that they did mention about Wolf Among Us Season 2 is that it will not continue on from Season 1, not only because, you know, the first one was like four years ago now, and they said, well, we don't, with it being that big of a time gap, we don't want a game where people have to play the first one to understand the second one. But the interesting thing is, I mean, I haven't played it all the way through, but they, I know there's like a big mystery still kind of left at the end. And they said, yeah, we have all the answers to that. But since what we're making isn't a direct sequel, you might not find out those answers. They said like they're still going to have uh, Beast or the, the big bad wolf, the main character, the last one, and Snow White in this game. But it might be, you know, a thousand years in the past. It might be years in the future. It might be this, that, or the other thing. So really no concrete details on it other than it's not a direct sequel and you probably aren't going to find out the answers to the questions that you still had at the end of the last one. Even though they said specifically they have those answers. I guess you're just not going to get them. Thanks, guys. What a bunch of dicks. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's kind of weird. Uh, well, I knew they weren't doing much with it right now because uh, Witta is an individual who writes for, you know, he does a lot of things, but uh, he's been also doing some writing for the last season of Walking Dead. You, mm. I've been getting a little insight here and there, just that he's been working on it, they've been rolling with it, so I know that they're focused on that right now, which means, well, mm -hmm. they're not focused on Wolf Among Us Part 2. So it's going to be a while. I wouldn't uh, hold your breath for it any time in the near future. And then I'll give another quick hit because this mailbag question has been sitting around in the mailbag for so long. It's all dusty. It's like half fallen apart. I can barely even pull it out of the bag. It's like falling. It's like disintegrating in my hands as I'm reading it. So I got to read it right now real quick. It's from my Uncle John. This is from like forever ago. You, you remember how long ago this came through. <laughs> One of his questions that he submitted was, I'll rephrase it because it was attached to a previous question. He says he plays World of Tanks, World of Warplanes, and World of Battleships. Which country is the best for leveling up for each game? Now, I actually did do some research on this, and I found that there's no real like best country. I mean, there's in certain classes of certain planes, tanks, or ships, there are kind of different biases towards different countries, but overall... The best way to earn experience in that game is to buy XP boosters, because it's a free-to-play game, you know, it's going to have the microtransactions, have a premium account, or buy premium ships, tanks, or planes, because those have XP boosters built into them. But if you want to play the game without, you know, purchasing anything, if you still want to just play it for free, pretty much the best country to play is the country that has the tanks that are best in your specific class or ship or, or plane or whatever. Because the best thing you can do without spending money is just be really good at the game and do really well in the battles. So whichever play style appeals to you, whichever class of vehicle appeals to you, whichever country appeals to you that you have the most fun with, that you have that you feel like you're the best at, 
Just play with those, and your good performance will reward you with more XP than if you were just, well, I heard the Soviets are best over here, but I'm not good at their tanks, but I heard they're the best, and then you just have a bad game, you're going to get bad XP, and there you go. So if you, if you want to play for free, just purely for free, just play whatever you're most comfortable with. If you don't mind dropping some money, just drop it on XP boosters, and then you'll be leveling up like nobody's business. But I did hear that you know a lot of new players are saying, oh man, I really want to level up and get up in the ranks. But once you do that, you unlock more difficult battles and higher ranked players to play against who can just destroy you because they've been playing with those vehicles in those ranks for forever. So don't be too eager to level up you, Uncle John, or anyone else who's listening to this. Take your time, find what you like best, play that, get get really good with it, and you, in time, you will eventually unlock those harder difficulty battles, I'm using quote fingers, against those higher-ranked opponents, and you'll have a better time that way. So there you go, two mailbag questions. Nothing big, but, you know, we got through a little bit of the backlog. Like, yeah, and I'll just say, this is an easy answer. I, I didn't have to do any research. It's called the United States of America. Uh... The great U.S. of A. is the best <laughs> in every aspect. Tanks, Navy, air, I mean, psh, ground support. Yeah, you're fine. Just U.S. of A. <laughs> Anybody who listens outside of U.S.A., I'm just playing. It's just all for fun. Jeez, oh, peace. Take chill pill. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually hear that in World of Tanks, the Soviets generally have better tanks in that game, but it really depends on, you know... They're, they're first place here, second place here, third place here, but overall, they're mm-hmm. better. That's what people keep saying, but who knows? I haven't played it. I played I played one game of World of Tanks. I moved, I drove my tank like six feet and got immediately exploded, and I went, okay, I'm not playing World of Tanks no more. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I like it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Number three. So this game... I don't know how it appeared, but it magically appeared in my screen one day, and I was like, what the hell is this game? Okay, whatever. So what I'm talking about is Into the Breach, developed by Subset Games, published by Subset Games. It was released February 27, 2018 for the PC. Yes, boys and girls, only the PC. My heart is broken, and unfortunately, from every report I've heard, they have no intention of bringing it to Switch or any other console, which is very unfortunate because this game would be perfect on the Switch. Yeah, because everything's perfect on the Switch. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's 100% Shut up, man. True, I'm just going to roll with it, and we're going to keep saying it. <laughs> Fully full-on flight sim that requires a giant freaking flight uh, stick and controller. That'd be perfect, perfect on, on the Switch. Switch. I can, like, hey, wiggle my thumbs on oh, the Oh, I have sticks. a solution. It's called Labo, boy. Yeah, get your Labo on. Build yourself a... <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a good exactly. point. I'll give you that. Uh, so, we're not talking about Labo. We're talking about Into the Breach. Now, what this game is, it's a tactical role-playing game, except for it's a little bit different than your typical tactical role-playing game. You take the form of three mechs, obviously. You are protecting the world from these evil monsters called Vec. Okay, so, you know, nothing, nothing special there, right? However, here's the thing. The individuals who made this game said, you know what, we've watched movies like Man of Steel, such and such, where... Avengers, all these titles where you're heroes and you're doing the thing, you're destroying the world, but you save the day. So you save the day, you killed the monster, but you ruined the entire city, the entire freaking continent in the process. And they thought, well, hey, let's make a game that instead of it just being you want to destroy the monsters 
all costs doesn't matter. We want you to understand that there's cost to things. So the whole shtick of this game is you launch down in your three different mechs with three different kinds of abilities on a square grid-based platform, which is typical for these types of games. And then around you will be uh, civilian you know, living quarters, power grids, things like that. Just different structures that you have to protect. And of course there's environmental hazards, things you can use for you and getting rid of the VEC or things that are used against you because you'll have to get around them. Stuff like that to make you make decisions. The VEC will spawn in and they're not even really, they'll attack you, but their main, what they like to do, of course, is destroy the buildings. So you now have to go and stop them from destroying these buildings, but you also don't want to die just as in any typical game. The really cool part is, is you see the moves of the VEC one move in advance. So the trick to this is, is you're going to see where they're going to go. Now, hey, look, he's about to go destroy this power grid here. Now, what's more important, taking out the VEC over here that's right next to me who might damage me, or somehow intercepting him over here so he doesn't destroy that power grid because we only have three spaces that they can destroy before we lose. And then, wonderfully, guess what? When you lose, you have to eh, use your time ability. <gasps> what? Think Edge of Tomorrow. So you lose, you screw up, you screw the pooch, all the power grids go, or all the players, all three players die then you get an opportunity to rewind time, take one of those players back with you with all of his experience and upgrades, etc. with him, and then start over. So that's the cool shtick. Now back to what I was saying, the whole shtick of the game is now you have to make decisions. What's more important is keeping you alive, stopping him from getting that grid. You have to strategically start to wonder, okay, can I survive this hit, make him block him, and then go over here, do something or rather, this and that. And then, of course, all the while, the environment's there stopping you, helping you. It's a really cool strategic game in which instead of just killing monsters, not really thinking about anything, you now have a whole other focus, which is keeping all the buildings and people alive also while not dying because you can't help anybody if you're dead. So just really neat concept, a lot of fun, plus you get to see their moves in advance, which is you know typically unusual in these types of games. It's just a pretty cool element. And then, of course, taking one of your players back in time and restarting if you screw up, that's awesome. Gives you a whole other chance to you know not die and do it right. Adds an element of challenge to it, but you can like permanently die if you keep on dying. Like if you die and all your, your player players are gone... And it's just like an AI, you can't control them, so you will actually die. It's a little bit confusing on how it works, because I think like if you die normally, but the AI is still up, you can then like jump into the, the other one and keep going. So it's a little strange on, on how that works. So like if you don't, like maybe if you don't hmm. get to an AI before you die, you die-die instead of just go back, you can just rewind time and start over. A little bit confusing hmm. on that part of it. But I do like the concept all the same of having that second chance and keep going and then learn from the mistakes oh, yeah. you made. Really neat. It's an old school, old school, I don't, wanna, I don't know if it's 16-bit, whatever. It's got kind of old graphics. It's not like jumping out of your face, 3D, crazy cool graphics. But it doesn't need to be because it's, that's not the type of game it is. If you really want to get your hands on a very, very, very awesome-looking strategic role-playing game in which you got to use your brain, put a strategy together, and go for it. 
this might be the game for you. And of course, lastly, real quick, those three mechs have different abilities. I, mean, I shouldn't even have to say it, but they do all have different abilities, mm -hmm. different functionalities, things that they can do that the other mechs can't. So you want to make sure you utilize them to their advantages and strengths. And then, of course, you know, take care of business, man. It's a good game. Looks like a lot of fun. I thought about actually picking it up, but I'm so swamped right now. Whew, we'll see. That does actually sound like one that would be totally oh. up my alley because I love strategy role-playing games and then having the added concern of defending yourself versus defending you know, the civilians or the points on the map or making sure that you're there to block them off. And then the whole time, the time bit of just, they're going to go over here and then, well, what, what am I going to do to counter that? And then once I do it, well, now they're going to go over uh -huh. here, and I know that that's going to happen. Trying to find ways to funnel their decisions so that your decisions are easier or your decisions are harder if you funnel them the wrong way. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I'll check it out. I think you'll fall in love with it because I did, and I don't Sweet. typically play those games that much anymore. Number two. So speaking of falling in love with stuff, here's a game everyone's going to hate. Aww. It's Metal Gear Survive. It's the first game in the entire Metal Gear franchise without any trace, any hint, any input, any anything from Hideo Kojima, except for leftovers from his previous game. But I'll get into that a little bit later. So I would like just like to say, as a big Hideo Kojima fan, uh, f*** you, Konami. I think this is Dirty Dog. You just you take the man's work and you, you know, spin it off. I don't like it on principle. But I'm going to tell you all about the game, what I've been hearing about it. Good, bad, ugly, all that kind of stuff. So you know how we do on IG2G. I'm not just going to hate on it just to hate on it, even though I might want to. Let's see what do we got going on here. So this is kind of like a weird side story to the Metal Gear franchise. Metal Gear Survive basically takes place in between Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes and Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain. Mother base blows up, everyone gets scattered to the winds, and then in Phantom Pain, one of the first things you got to do is get everybody back together and rebuild Mother Base. So I'm assuming from all the trailers and everything, it looks like in Metal Gear Survive, you're one of the random soldiers who was on Mother Base when everything blew up and everything happened. But basically what happens is you're transported to this alternate world called Dite. I don't know if it's you just like fall through a wormhole or how you get there, but you're basically on this totally new world that's full of poisonous water, spoiled food, all kinds of bad stuff. And what's even worse is there's these weird zombie things that look like they've been taken over by this weird mineral. If you know, if you've seen video or screenshots, you know what I'm talking about. They're like zombie people with like half a head and there's a weird glowy crystal sticking out of it. And it's your job to just survive in this world. You gotta find food. You gotta find water. You gotta find resources so you can craft things so you can make that food palatable, so you can make water drinkable, so you don't die in these poison gas clouds. And how do you do that? Where you're you're generally mining this, you know, this unique mineral that exists on Dite, and then you that will give you power to, you know, you can build bases, you can build forts, you can build all kinds of stuff. You mine this mineral to give it power, but as you're mining this this mineral, the zombies will come. I'm just going to call them zombies because I don't know what they really, really are, and they look like zombies. So it's your job to, as you're taking over bases from these weird zombie soldier things, you take them over, you upgrade them, you kit them out, you, you, know, you defend them, you put like resource generation things. Basically, it's if you took 
all the disparate elements from Metal Gear Solid Five, base building, resource management, uh, personnel management, all that kind of stuff. You put it into a weird alternate wasteland world full of zombies and base defense. And that's basically what Metal Gear Solid Survive is. And I don't mean that... I mean, I do mean that literally because they've said that this game uses a lot of assets just straight out of Metal Gear Solid Five. If you see a screenshot of it, aside from the zombies and maybe some of the tech, everything looks like Metal Gear Solid Five. So graphics are outstanding, but again, tons of reused assets. As you're going around just... You know, it's just Metal Gear. You're going around reclaiming those bases, taking over bases, reclaiming bases, refitting them the way you want them so you can continue to survive and build and build and build your resources out. Now, this also does have a story mode, so you're going through like a 20-hour campaign. One good thing I've heard about that is that the main antagonist is a, is apparently really pretty good and brings a lot of horror elements into, you know, the, the Metal Gear Solid survival system. So... I've, I've heard some good things about this where, you know, your progression system is pretty nice. You start off with nothing and you can only eat spoiled food and drink rotten water. And anytime you get into poison gas, you're in all kinds of trouble. But as you're building it out, it's, from what I hear, it's a good survival game. So if you're into survival games and that kind of progression system, you're probably going to like this. But what I've heard is that the story doesn't really go anywhere. I've heard literally that the ending just erases everything that happened somehow so i'm guessing you just get wormholed out and then hey look it's the phantom pain again but i've heard that the story doesn't doesn't develop in any kind of satisfying way and then eventually it just does become a grind where what is there to do well go take over another base kit it out and and all your enemies are just these zombies except for the the main antagonist guy so there's no kind of development of you know, in Phantom Pain, you started off, enemy soldiers had, like, no skills. Then they start getting flashlights, and then they start getting helmets, and then they start getting body armor. If you start doing things, then the enemies would adapt to what you were doing, and you'd face harder enemies, so you'd have to really, really flesh out your skills. In here, it's zombies. They're going to just do what they've always done. I've heard that the co-op mode, though, is kind of a lot of fun, and it's basically just horde mode. It's you and three buddies. You get to, you know, drop into a base, kit it all out, defend it. Horde modes are always fun, and they said this is a good way to get a lot of resources if you and your buddies are pretty good, because that's one of the downsides of this game is you're always grinding for resources so you can upgrade your bases, so you can make new stuff, and that that gets to be kind of a really big, tedious grind. Hey, but, you know, I'm sure there are ways to relieve that grind, like, oh, say microtransactions. Yes, there are microtransactions in this game. And not only for stuff like faster crafting or resources, I've heard that, like, there are some really strange microtransactions. Like, if you want more than a couple save slots, you have to spend microtransactions on them. Why? That's kind of a dirty one, in my opinion. I don't know. Hey, maybe people are comfortable with that, but there are microtransactions in this game, and it's a game where you have to gather lots of resources and grind and spend a lot of time. There was an aspect to that in Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, but I found that you could get away without spending those resources, like nobody's business, easy peasy. I've heard that this is more of a grind here in Metal Gear Solid Survive, which I'm not really surprised by, because if you go with Konami's kind of scummy reputation, what are they going to do? They're going to make a grindy game where you got to spend the money to make it not a grindy game anymore. I don't know. That's just me. They did good on Super Bomberman for the Switch. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's old school, though. That's. 
I just want to ask you, are they going to be doing uh, DLC for this, or is this a one-off and they're moving on? Or do you know? I haven't heard anything, but if you're making a bunch of microtransactions for games, I'm going to assume that you're going to have paid DLC as well eventually, or expansions to it. At the end of one of the reviews I watched, they said, hey, the most recent update gave you reduced rewards for all your stuff and increased the time that it took to create or craft or gather things. So they're already kind of turning the screws to make it go, hey, maybe maybe give us some money for those microtransactions. But like I said, I haven't heard any news on DLCs or expansions. I don't see why you wouldn't, though. I mean, it would be pretty easy. Oh, like, here's the extra hard base way over there and bring in even more Metal Gear Solid Five assets since you have them. You can just make all kinds of new stuff with it. Just like they made a whole new game with all those assets. Hey, all right, how about hey, that? You know, you got. I got to say, if you're going to build an entire engine around a game and then, of course, have your issues and the individual leaves, uh, gets thrown out, you know, however it went down, that you want to make money off of that engine you built. So you got to find a way to use it. That is fair, but I mean, at least... I shouldn't say, like, hey, at least make a game with a good story because maybe the story is fine. I haven't played it, but it's not... Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to make a survival game using the Metal Gear Solid engine, don't call it Metal Gear. Just make it completely removed. Just, I mean, you you could just be like, you could still be that mother mother base soldier who washed up on a beach somewhere, and now you got to survive in this foreign land or something. It doesn't have to be. They take characters from Metal Gear in those opening cutscenes, in those middle cutscenes, at the end cutscenes. It's like they try to brand it and stamp it with Metal Gear everywhere, which I think is is kind of the disingenuous part, which is the, meh, meh. I'm, I'm rambling off on meh. a tangent. I don't want to like it. I don't want them to do good things Sorry. with it. I want them to just make a totally new game. Just want to watch it burn and die, make a new game, try to reinvent yourselves. Well, it'd be like, what if, uh, what if Miyamoto left Nintendo and they went, oh, look, we're just going to keep making Mario and Zeldas. Well, they're going to. Man's got to die someday, Matt, and you ain't going to stop Mario oh. and Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese people live for a long time, dude. Rice and fish do a lot of good That's stuff. That's very for true. You. Well, I didn't say I had to worry about it anytime soon, but that day will mm. come and we will be alive for it. So, Whew. well, wait. How, how about this? Not after he dies. What if Nintendo Five fires him? Yeah, and then goes, "Oh well, here's here's another Mario, but it's all the assets from the old Mario, and they just kind of like stirred it into like a weird pot, and they went, look, it's totally new." Yeah. Well, you know, I'd say it's a sleazebag move, but See, but I can have go. faith in my Nintendo. They won't do that, so sleazeball <laughs> Konami. Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. But yes, f*** you, Konami. I've, I've just seen middling reviews mm. for this, so even the most positive ones have just been, eh, it's okay, but it's it's just serviceable, but it doesn't go anywhere. I think I've been seeing like fives and sixes as the tops, and then other people who just hate on it, giving it like twos and threes. So, I mean, if if you were a big survival game player, maybe this will click with you more than anyone else. But if you're a Metal Gear Solid person, just know that this is not Metal Gear Solid. You might be able to do the same kind of stuff in it, but it's not going to be the same game. There you go. That's all I got. That's it. It's topical. We're done. done. Number one.
So to wrap the night out, I wanted to come away with a little opinion shindig for us. And what I wanted to talk about, it has to do with loot boxes. Oh yeah, hey, you guys have talked about this before. Yes, we have. Now, the difference is, is the ESRB has now stated that, okay, we don't want the government stepping in. We hear that it's an issue. Legislation's all just chomping at the bit to make this a shindig. They went ahead and went, hey... Knock it off, boys and girls. We're going to go ahead and on video games start putting a little little loot box icon stating that, hey, this game has transactions, loot box transactions. Now, it's broader than that, though. And here's where the split is coming. Here's where there's some people grumbling and whatnot. And that it just, whenever they put that on a game, all it means is that this game has in-game transactions of some kind. Now, the big problem with these microtransactions was like with Battlefront 2, it was a huge big old shindig where, yeah, if, if you don't want to grind for freaking 75 plus hours, you're not going to get this this Darth Vader guy. Well, no duh, that was, a e- that was them trying to get a cash grab, knowing no one wants to wait 75 plus hours to play as that particular character. So, of course, they're going to go buy, pay money out of pocket and get them. And then, of course, this incentivizes younger teenagers things like that to you know wrangle up whatever money they have steal it from their parents bug their parents for it whatever it is to get the money it's a whole it's a whole problem it's a whole shindig and then of course loot boxes themselves you usually when you open those it's random loot you don't know what you're going to get you might get a legendary you might get the cool thing you wanted probably you won't and you'll have to go buy 20 30 more so these are the types of things people have been having a problem with not not this stuff where you go to the little in-game store and it says, hey, would you like to buy this really cool trench coat for Spish McGee? It's, you know, $3.99. That's not a big deal, you know. Hey, it's a trench coat. It tells you what, to do, what it is, what it's priced at. You don't have to have it. It does absolutely nothing. It's just cosmetic makes you look cooler. That's not an issue. Problem is, is this won't differentiate in any of that. So any game that has any of these will have that symbol and, of course, they want to push a promotion out to try to get parents' attention to let them know that, hey, make sure you're monitoring what your kids are getting. And if it has, you know, the little icon, it might have in-game transactions, and you have to be careful about that. And then they were talking to parents, and parents don't even know what microtransactions are. They don't even know what loot boxes are. The only thing they ask is, does that involve me spending money? What? What? So what's the problem? Here's the problem. Parents are going to go to the store, they're going to see that little icon, and they're going, oh, I ain't let my kid get this, I'm going to spend all the money on my credit card, blah, 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 knowing nothing mm-hmm. about it. So a lot of people up in the air going nuts about it, you know, some saying, you know, it's, it's a step in the right direction, some saying, no, it's actually a step in the wrong direction. Should ESRB trying to be trying to do more? Should they be trying to do less? You know, what do you think, man? I think personally it's a step in the right direction, because... I mean, we've heard a million times all those stories about, well, I gave the kid my phone and he racked up like $500 of charges because I didn't know that this game had charges in it because I don't pay attention to anything. I feel like this is something good to put on the box. That way nobody can go, oh, I had no idea. Well, it says right here, contains microtransactions. Oh, oh, well, I didn't bother looking at it. Well, now it's your own fault. Now you deserve to lose your 100 bucks. I mean, it's just like, Everything like everything else the ESRB does. Look, sexual content, gory violence, swearing, language, all the all the bad stuff. Well, I didn't know it was all there. Well, it's right there on the frickin' label. If you even do the the tiniest bit of parenting, you would understand. But I do agree that there is kind of an issue with 
paid DLC versus like loot box type things where you randomly roll for what you're going to get. So I think there should eventually be some kind of differentiator there because if it just, hey, it contains microtransactions, but it's, you know, the microtransaction is for the expansion to it, then that's totally different from the other thing. But I think at least this will get the dis- the discussion going. If people start seeing it, they're like, well, what, what microtransactions does this entail? And then they could actually talk to either the person behind the counter, talk to the kids, put the game in and see for themselves, you know, what kind of things there are on offer there, and then have that discussion with the child or with themselves or with whoever it is that's playing the game. I think it's a good step I think further stuff will be needed, but at least this can get the ball rolling. And, I mean, if it does good stuff, then great. If it does bad stuff, then that's not great. Or if it does nothing, then you'll really know one way or the other whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. What do you think? So, being who I am, I already solved the problem for these guys. Okay, here here it is. Now, I want to make a side note on this. In some countries right now, if the game has loot boxes, it requires them to state, you know, what the odds are of winning the different prizes and stuff. This is not going to be handled this way in the current ESRB setup. So they will not have to disclose Mm -hmm. the rates and uh, odds of winning, things like that. Now, I wanted to say that because my solution ties into it. Real simple solution. For whatever reason that those parents are still in the dark, clueless as to what games are and how any of this works... (laughs) Because it makes much better. <laughs> uh, so, easy system. It's called the green, yellow, red system. You have your wonderful little cool loot box icon like they're going to do already and say this game contains microtransactions. Mm-hmm. And it'll either be a green level, a yellow level, or a red level. Green level means low-cost microtransactions and then also known quantities. Like I said, with like a trench coat for one ninety nine, a smiley face emoticon for $0.50, cents, those type of things. Real cheap in-game upgrades just to have more fun. Fortnite. Basically, what I think of is Fortnite with those things. Now, of course, Fortnite has the V-Bucks and other things you can spend more money on. Well, here we go. That's where you get into the yellow transactions. This is when prices start to go up and you can buy actual just currency for the game, which allows you to then purchase all sorts of in-game items, whether it be known quantities or unknown quantities. So there you go. Now you're in the yellow bracket, so you're still not going crazy with all these random items. You have no idea what you get. You're just going to spend a billion dollars for no reason. And then we get into the red. And the red is the big dog. The red's where you got, hey, hey, Tommy, do you like the Eyes of Doom? Hmm? Well, the only way to get it is to buy this five ninety nine freaking super duper chest, which you know has one in one million roll chance. <laughs> and then you buy the in-game currency to buy this wonderful chest, in which you will probably not get what you want. So you will spend five ninety nine more over and over and over again. Plus, it has, of course, it can or does not have to have all the other implementations of microtransactions, but more than likely it will if this type of game has that. It will have the other stuff as well. Now, now I have one, one thing that's immediately going to shut down. Dang the it! System. I don't like it. Now, <laughs> now, now, as you probably know, since your wife is a teacher, teachers are like discouraged from using red pen to mark up people's answer sheets because red ink makes people feel bad. Yeah. So if this is green, yellow, red, the people who sell red games are going to go, "Hey, you know, we feel unfairly demonized by this red color that sh- that says we are." 
dirty, money-grubbing psychopaths, and we don't want to be portrayed that way. And we're not. So it would have to be like heart, like light blue, heart pink, and like sparkle rainbow, or what I just thought of right now, you go bronze, silver, gold, platinum level. Ooh, that way, oh, go. like platinum where you're just, you just got to pay out the butt to do anything and get no rewards yes. whatsoever, but you're platinum. But you're it sounds cool. Right you're there, platinum. Buddy. You're a platinum. Yeah. You're, you're plat. You're a platinum game. Yeah, I feel good about myself. Perfect. <laughs> so so I identified a problem and then just like you did, solved it immediately. Look at that. There we go. Love it. See, together we have just made the perfect system in which to control these regulations. <laughs> so overall, I agree with the ASRB moving forward with it. I do think that having something is better than having nothing. However, I don't think it's as far as they should have gone. I feel like it was a quick band-aid just to get the subject kind of off the table for now. And I'm hoping that it's not off the table in the bad ways and just shut up everybody. We don't want to look at or talk about it. I hope it's in the way of, hey, let's fix it quick now so government don't go, we're going to do something. And then they can, in the background in the next year or two, really sit down and just go, how can we make this good? How can we make this right? And then iterate on what they just started and make it better. Well, that's how they did it with the rating system originally. It was just the ratings. And then it was like, well, why is this MA different from this MA? Well, this one has blood, gore, nudity. This one just has really bad language. So you put, start putting the descriptors on the box. It's like this one. You're going to start putting, hey, microtransactions. Well, microtransactions, loot boxes, microtransactions, DLC. I'm sure it'll, it'll unfold and evolve naturally, just like the last one did. Well, hell, time will tell. But in the meantime, hey, what do you guys and girls think out there? Send us some mailbag questions, some responses. How do you feel about this whole ESRB rating shindig coming up with them talking about the loot boxes? Do you think it's fair or not fair? Let us know, because we want to hear from you. And until we hear from them, it's time to wrap it up. Imposters Wrap Up. So as Eric said, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that via email at info at thirdshift.me. You can tweet at us at thirdshiftme, and you can find us on Facebook under Third Shift. And of course, we have a wonderful Patreon setup. We treat it like a tip jar. If you guys like what you hear, you want to support us, head on over there, throw a buck in the jar, five bucks in the jar. This will get you access to anything and everything we do that's not just for the general public. We all, you know, we do a little shindig every month that wraps up all the games we're playing. We have a good time with it. We hope that our patrons like it. And if you want to hear it, hey, go throw $1 our way and help us out because that would be amazing. And of course, as always, we do appreciate each and every one of you who currently does or has ever supported us on Patreon. It helps keep the lights on and pay for all sorts of shindigs to keep this rolling. And of course, this podcast drops every two weeks on Tuesday, so we'll be back in your ear holes on the 20th of March for our very next episode. You can find those episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Podbean. As Eric said, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to help us out, please give us a like, a rating, review, a subscription, any kind of good thing on any one of those good services, because it does help us out, and we really do appreciate it. And with that, Matt, I think there's only one thing to say. Don't Don't forget forget to to save. save!